This is Lex McKee welcoming you to the seven habits of happiness, habit five, aptitude. This habit is dedicated to Kim Searle, who has taught me that happiness flows from being more you. Be more you is Kim's catchphrase, and she walks her talk. And she's in good company too. Whatever a person can be, they must be. This need we call self-actualization. That's adapted from, and spelt in the English way, from Abraham Maslow. I'm going to read it again. Whatever a person can be, they must be. This need we call self-actualization. So there is inside you a ticking drive going, I must be everything that I can be. Or as Kim says, be more you. Einstein is reputed to have said, everybody's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. As it turns out, Einstein never said this, so I feel at perfect liberty to say everybody can be happy. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will neither be happy nor will it realise its potential, instead remaining stuck in a life of mediocrity. And we don't want that, do we? The truth is, you are made of stardust. Thus you were meant to shine. Light is meant to flow from you. When you become more you, when you be more you, you should sparkle. And I'm willing to believe you've met plenty of people who have found themselves and they are sparkling because they've got the secret of how to be more you. In some ways, it's about water and light. Think of the habit four, attitude. In it, we mention symbiosis, where two different organisms live together in harmony. I gave the example of lichen. This is a harmonious partnership, a marriage, if you like, between a plant and a fungus. The fungus is great at capturing, storing and sharing water. The plant is brilliant at fixing energy from the light. When both become more us, be more us, they can enter a flow state. The light flows, the water flows. That's the aim of this habit, to help you find your flow and then keep fueling you in that flow so that it flows deeper and wider and faster and broader for the rest of your life's journey to your chosen destination. I have a very specific paid-for two-step strategy to achieve this, and I'm being transparent here, you got to pay for it. First up, the contribution compass. Step one is to do an assessment called the contribution compass. The contribution compass helps you identify the direction you should go in to deliver the maximum contribution in life. Happiness comes from making contribution. That's the next habit. When you add the best value you can bring to the world, you will open yourself to receiving the best level of satisfaction, reward, recognition and happiness. That kind of guidance is worth investing in and the assessment is not free, nor is it inexpensive. But if you value your happiness, you need to know thyself first, the foundation of all Greek philosophy. I've chosen to promote the contribution compass because it's a friend with benefits. Once we know the direction you should be heading in, I can tell you the type of travelling companions you should be attracting into your fellowship, a bit like Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. The compass looks like a compass, haha. And it reveals, perhaps like a certain famous golden compass, other truths. The two we are most interested in are two differing types who will enable you to be more you, in the words of Kim Searle, 80% of the time. Yes, you could be in flow. You could be happy. 
80% of the time. And if not happy, 80% of the time, content 80% of the time. Wouldn't that be worth investing in? Let me help that make more sense by talking about being a one-person business owner. When you start out in business, you need to do the accounts, the marketing, the sales, the product and service development, the customer liaison, and more. You end up working for the business, what entrepreneurs call working in the business rather than working on the business. It can be exhausting. For most of us, it is. Very rapidly, you will realise that you are a natural at fulfilling some of the roles and a liability to the business and to yourself in other roles. I can do the paperwork, I'm intelligent enough, but I am resistant to carrying out these maintenance tasks. That resistance to knuckling down to doing it suggests I am a fish trying to climb a tree in this area. Even though my new business is in the early stages of growth, I now have a part-time personal assistant to help me keep my promises to both customers and potential customers and to myself. Charlotte also helps keep on top of my paperwork. Furthermore, I have an accountant and I have input from several coaches in my business network to keep me focused. I have a designer who can do my graphics professionally and I have Martin, my webmeister, to look after all my web work. I have a team, none of whom I employ. For me, this means having the benefits of low overheads yet achieving maximum impact and optimum flow for me. I can get on with the writing, an activity to which I have zero resistance. Writing is my tree to climb if I was a monkey, or my sea to swim in, my ocean to swim in if I was a fish. The contribution compass won't say, listener, you are a writer. But what it will do is make clear the greatest contribution you can make if you flow in one of the following eight headings. North, the catalyst. This is the one who contributes most by accelerating change. It's a bit sort of entrepreneurial. North Northeast, the champion, the one who blazes a trail, who champions a cause, a real Captain Kirk from Star Trek. East, the coach, who shifts the focus onto the people in the team to bring out their best contribution, a bit like Deanna Troy in Star Trek The Next Generation. East, Southeast, the connector, brilliant at building bridges and bonds between groups and individuals, as well as connecting the paradigms, processes and products the team will need. A real connection hub. South, the custodian, the promise keeper, supportive and gentle, diplomatic and calm. West, the conductor, the optimizer, a bit of Spock, the science officer in Star Trek, logical, factual, unemotional, results focused. West, Northwest, the calibrator, fine-tuning the way everything works, so it works better, Mr. Scott, in Star Trek. Find out which Star Trek character you are most like at Matthew Barr, Matthew with two T's, Barr, B-A-R-R, dot co, dot U-K, forward slash Trek, T-R-E-K. Matthew Barr, dot co, dot U-K, forward slash Trek. I'd love to hear your result. If you don't have the funds to invest in the Contribution Compass profile, know that you already instinctively know, and you may even have hard physical, financial, empirical evidence about what you're good at and what needs supporting. Notice I didn't say what needs more work. Being in flow is not about strengthening your weaknesses. That only creates stronger weaknesses. 
No, happy people outsource anything that they are not driven to pursue. That's the goal. Take a leaf out of the lessons given by botany. Plants give away the message of what needs support very visually. You can see the sag. That branch is strong, you see and say, but that branch needs support. Be a branch manager so that you may flow and bear much fruit. I also have a set of 27 questions for free that will help you understand your aptitude, your purpose and meaning in life. Would you like to hear them? Here they are. Question one, what excites you? It's such a window onto your purpose and flow. Question two, what work would you do as a volunteer? Or what work do you do as a volunteer? Question three, what was the last idea that woke you up in the middle of the night when your subconscious could get a message through to you? Question four, what do you want to fix most in the world? And I'm going to pause there for a moment. As an idea, here are the 17 sustainable development goals of the United Nations. Number one, no poverty. Number two, zero hunger. Number three, good health and well-being. Would you like to fix any of those? Would you like to make your contribution to making those happen? Number four, my favourite, quality education. Number five, gender equality. Number six, clean water and sanitation. Number seven, affordable and clean energy. Number eight, decent work and economic growth. Number nine, industry, innovation and infrastructure. Number 10, reduced inequalities. Number 11, sustainable cities and communities. Number 12, responsible consumption and production. Number 13, climate action. Number 14, life below water. Number 15, life on land. Number 16, peace, justice and strong institutions. And number 17, partnerships for the goals. Which ones? call to you. It's best to have a single focus and maybe two supports, a bit like the contribution compass. So I'd love to do something with life on land, life below water, but focus my efforts on the educational goal, quality education. As part of my own contribution, and that's coming up in the next episode, my own business activities are aligned with these goals via the amazing work of B1G1. That's the letter B and the letter G and the numbers one. B1G1.com. And these are going to feature in our contribution habit, the next habit, habit six. Back to the questions. Question five. If you had a year out to study, what subject would you choose? Question six. If you were famous, what would it be for? Most of these questions were inspired by the work of the late, great Scott Dinsmore of Live Your Legend fame. And we are aligned with what Scott intended to help you find the right direction and live your legend. Question seven. What are your gifts or talents? Question eight, what is your unique ability? Question nine, what are you phenomenally good at? Question 10, what aspect of your work do you miss when on holiday? This makes me laugh because a better question would be, what aspect of your work do you continue to do even when on holiday? For me, it is writing. I write when I am at work. I write when I'm tired. I write when I feel ill. I write when I feel on top of the world. I write when I am on holiday. I write, therefore I am. I know how to be more me. Question 11. What would you like to be most remembered for? Question 12. How would you live if you knew your art could support you? Question 13. What do you do that makes you feel invincible? Question 14, what makes you happiest in your life? Question 15, 
What would your dream job be? Question 16. What principles are non-negotiable? And that one begins to tap into your personal culture, your values, what you stand for. Question 17. If you could have, be or do anything, what would you have? What would you be? What would you do? Question 18. And relax as you're listening to these. I'm going to give you access to these questions so that you can reflect on them at greater length. We just need to keep the pace up on this recording. So just let your inner person go, yup, I've got the answer to that one straight away. Question 18. If income wasn't a limit, how would you spend your time? Question 19. What would you change if you could change the world? Question 20. What were you working on when you last lost track of time? Lost in the moment. Question 21. What do you want to be known for? Now this one may well be a character trait like kindness, or it may be an innovation like Marie Curie's Nobel Prize winning works, multiple Nobel Prize winner. Question 22. What do people thank you for? Perhaps what do people compliment you for? What do people recognise in you that perhaps you don't see in yourself because it's as plain as the nose on your face, but you can't see the tip of your nose? What do people thank you for? Question 23. What would be the title of your book that would change the world? I love this. It's fun if you imagine the title of your book as the book that changed the world. And then the question becomes, What's in it? Question 24. What is your favourite genre of book or magazine or movie? This is one of the easiest ones to answer and it clearly shows us the directions you are drawn towards. For example, I used to get photography magazines and music magazines, but it was the music magazines I would read more of. So there I've got an indication of my hierarchy of desires. YouTube is another great filter. I will gladly watch more philosophy from channels like The School of Life and uh, Einzelganger, if you pronounce it that way, than I will watching how-to videos on guitar, which I love. I'm pretty certain that if there had been an engaging philosophy magazine that I had known about, I would have read that instead of my photography magazines and my guitar magazines. My priorities are clear in terms of desire, theology, stroke philosophy, stroke ecology, over music and photography and videography. I'm sure you can get the same clarity for your own interests just by thinking about what do you watch on YouTube, what books do you get, what magazines, what movies. Question 25. What beliefs would you stand up for? Or if you're up for it, what beliefs would you die for? What beliefs would you suffer for? Question 26. What would you go for if you knew you couldn't fail? What a great question. This is my favourite in the list. I sincerely think I am pursuing this even if rather late in life. Don't wait till you get to 60 like me, nearly 60. Go for it. What would you go for if you knew you couldn't fail? It's such a good question because you know you are going to fail, but it kind of sets your compass in the right direction. And what you'll do is you'll just pick yourself up, you'll dust yourself down and you'll go for it again. That's what entrepreneurs do. They fail fast, recover fast and get on with it. And question 27, the last one. Who do you most want to be like? This is a fascinating question because within the answer lies a pathway to its fulfilment. You will become most like the top five people you spend most time engaged with. These may not be the people in your household if you feel detached from them. It is the people you want to be like. 
Who do you most want to be like? I know the people you spend quantity time with will rub off on you, but you can re-script your life story to change all that. You can move. You can move on. So if you had the choice, who would you want to be like? Who would you like to spend the most time with? Who would you really like to get to know? That step one is a big one, isn't it? Personally, I think it's far quicker and easier to pay for the contribution compass profile and get a professional debrief with me. Boom, boom. Step two is to use the motivational mapping diagnostic. This is another assessment and debrief that opens the bonnet and looks at what drives your engine, your energy, your motivation. Do you know what motivates you? I can promise you, you will never be as fully happy as you can be unless you tap into these very different energy sources. In fact, if you're in a role that requires a fuel that doesn't suit your engine, it will be like putting unleaded petrol in a diesel engine. Ooh, and we know that doesn't end well. Of course, if you turn out to be like the creator, you'll need plutonium. Great Scott Marty. James Sale, the originator of motivational mapping, identifies nine fuels for motivation and conveniently splits these into three categories. The three broad groups are relationship motivators, achievement motivators, and growth motivators. And very aligned with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs are they all. Not sure that was good English, but you get my point. The relationship motivators are the defender, the friend, the star. The defender is motivated by feeling secure. The defender loves stability and predictability. The friend is fueled by friendships, by relationships, fulfilling ones. This is Maslow's sense of belonging and connection, or simply good old-fashioned friendship. Have a few mates, they can motivate you. The star, energised by feeling in the spotlight and getting rave reviews. You've met the type, do, re, mi. In fact, in the shower they go, do, re, mi, 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 mi. This is the type in networking meetings that just won't shut up and who says things like, that's enough about me. What would you like to know about me? Seriously, to get the maximum performance from a star, to help them shine, recognise their excellence, show them respect and make sure they know how esteemed they are in the team. Give them certificates and public rewards. The next group is the achievement motivators and they are the director, the builder and the expert. The director is driven by power, control and influence. Control of both people and products, resources, which is why I think they are totally unsuited to 21st century leadership. I see this type way too often shooting themselves in their own foot. They're often in a position of control because that's what they love in a world that's driven now by collaboration. The century of the rugged individualist was last century. If you are this type, you can still thrive and keep control. You just need to learn to share it. Collaboration, symbiosis, synergy is the way forward. The builder, built by material success. This motivator wants cash. It wants the good lifestyle and the above average living standards compared with others less successful, and I'm doing the bunny ears quotation marks there, compared with others less successful than itself. I'm not a big fan. The expert, drawn towards gaining knowledge and expertise, relishing mastery and specialization. They love to learn, learn, learn. Yummy. 
And the final group are the growth motivators, which are the creator, the spirit, the searcher. The creator, those of us who must create, who must innovate, who must express the novel in life, innovation. This is a fuel that allows for quick burns. It's like rocket fuel. It can be exhausting to be around for those who don't get this type. Oh, by the way, they find the rest of the types way too slow and frankly quite boring, lacking imagination. If you think these types are compatible, think again. They can, however, and must, however, work brilliantly together. The spirit, who is set free by freedom itself. These are those of us who need to be independent, calling the shots for directing their own lives. If you've watched the excellent 2013 remake of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the spirit is Sean O'Connell, played by Sean Penn, a photojournalist who is totally free to travel the globe and tell his photographic stories. It's well worth watching. Ignore the silly bits and get the message. That is, if you're a spirit type. The searcher craves meaning and purpose. Buy one, give one. The 17 sustainable goals of the United Nations. Yes, the searcher craves that. Wants to make a difference in the world. Wants to leave the world a better place than it was when they were born. Each day must be worthwhile. This is why I will be talking a lot about buy one, give one, be one, g one, business for good in our Habit 6 contribution. Do you need to do the profile? You can make a very good guess of your top three motivators from the above descriptions, but then you wouldn't get the excellent debrief and direction from me or from one of my team who can show you how to mine the maximum value from the Motivational Maps profile. That's almost enough for this chapter on aptitude. The point, I hope, is clear. Happiness flows and is sustained or fueled by first knowing the direction you should head in for maximum contribution, using the contribution compass and the 27 questions, and secondly, getting tanked up, filled up with the right fuel through motivational mapping. Except in true Columbo style, there's one last thing. For decades, I have shared an inspired system developed by Dr. Susan Dellinger. It's called Psychogeometrics. And you may well have come across this delivered by well-meaning, enthusiastic trainers who think it's free. They think it's out there on the open market. It isn't. It's Susan's intellectual property. It's a trademarked and copyrighted system. And speaking from my own experience, every trainer I've seen deliver this who hasn't been trained and accredited by Dr. Susan really doesn't understand its depths. They get the basic stuff and then often they dismiss it as a silly trainer's game. It is a very deep, profound and significant profile. The strange thing about it is it only takes about eight seconds. So I leave you with this gift. As with the case of the contribution compass and motivational maps, it pays to know what you're talking about, which translates to this little gem from Alexander Pope's An Essay on Criticism, written in 1709. It's amazing how our ancestors knew a thing or two, isn't it? He said, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep, or taste not the Perian spring. Their shallow draughts intoxicate the brain, and drinking largely sobers us again. 
By the way, just in case, like me, you lack an education in the classics, the Pyrian Spring, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, was believed to be the fount of knowledge, the fountain of knowledge. The muses, the inspiring Greek goddesses of ancient Greece, were said to frolic and play around it soon after their birth. Well, according to Wikipedia, drinking deeply from it would bring inspiration, though a sip would seem to merely intoxicate. This reminds me of the shelves full of training materials that I have, course trophies. I've gathered them over the years, but have yet to dig deep, to drink deep enough from that spring to reap the benefits. Do you have these too? Do you have shelves bulging under the weight of training manuals? What I'm saying here is I've trained with Dr. Susan and I've been doing this for decades. So I hope I'm about to impart to you something of real worth from a significant tool that I take seriously. Dr. Susan's system involves a rapid and intuitive choice of five preferences. It's another hierarchy like Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Simply put, you reorder the five shapes I'm about to share with you in your order of personal preference. The five shapes are the box, a perfect box, a triangle pointing upwards, a circle, a squiggle, which is a wavy line from north to south, from top to bottom, and a rectangle. Box, triangle, circle, squiggle, rectangle. To be explicit, my own preferences have remained the same over the decades. Namely, I like the squiggle most, followed by the circle, then the triangle. The box and the rectangle, I find I'm not drawn towards, so they are my fourth and fifth preferences, respectively. However, I find it fascinating that I love graph paper and symmetrical architecture. Go figure. One of my points is that these shapes surround us in our society. They are in our advertising icons, brand images. They are on our road signs. They are in our publications, in our art and in our architecture. We are immersed in Dr. Susan's psychogeometrics, even though we might not know it. So we will have intuitive choices. What are your preferences, please? Do not go on until you have chosen which shape should go in which order. More importantly, what might they reveal about your aptitude? Habit five. Dr. Susan has consistently assured me that the intuitive test is 82% accurate around the world, regardless of culture or age or gender or education. I find this claim fascinating and not true for any other preference system such as numbers or colours. For example, if you are Chinese, the dominant statistical numerical preference between 1 and 10 is 8. For Americans, Canadians and just about every other culture in the Anglosphere, it is 7. We are influenced by our culture. Okay, I hope I've been clear on that. Please don't proceed until you have put your shapes in order of preference. As a reminder, box, triangle, circle, squiggle, rectangle. What would you put first, second, third? fourth and fifth. If we swapped an X for the squiggle and forgot about the rectangle for a while, we'd end up with the symbols on the controller for a very famous games console, wouldn't we? However, in practice, the X has a negative association for many of us, so doesn't work psychogeometrically. Here's what your preferences say about your aptitude, at least in 82% of scenarios where people respond to this important game in inverted commas. Box first, perfect, literally, you have an aptitude for perfection. It's got to be perfect, as the song goes. You'll be happy working on your own without pesky interruptions. 
If a job's worth doing, it's worth you doing it because, as another lyric says, nobody does it better. Baby, you're the best. Except you don't like being called baby, do you, babe? LinkedIn is businesslike and until recently had no pointless pictures of coffee in a cafe none of us care about. Did you choose the triangle as your primary? Just like the UK's road warning signs, it's all about command and control. You like people, just like a triangle has, to get to the point. And frankly, three points is enough. Don't waste my time. You have a secret ambition to slay anyone who puts more than three points on a PowerPoint slide. Tolerant? No. You do not suffer fools gladly or easily or for long. I've seen you on a Zoom call. You're on your phone. You're doing stuff. You're zoned out unless you're speaking. You've got a results focus. Why am I hearing Eye of the Tiger in my mind? Oh yes, it's because you're a knockout. Punchy, precise and powerful. Getting Things Done by David Allen is your favourite business book. Either get stuff done or get out of the way. Happiness is an X to-do list with everything ticked off. Oh yeah. Twitter is pretty cool for you. Short, sharp, focused. Then you can trump the competition. Circle is your first focus. Yes, that's right. You take your time. Why? Because you move in circles. And it takes time to build relationships, especially in influential circles. You move in circles, you have a circle of influence. You have no like and trust as your mantra. Getting to know you is your song lyric. Where the triangle type has certificates, awards and trophies bedecking their workspace. You have a mini fridge. In it are beverages you don't even like because they're not for you. They are for your guests. And why would you need certificates when you can have hand-drawn works of art from your children and grandchildren interspersed with pictures of these human gems in the diadem of your connections of friends and family? That's what Facebook is for. Squiggle, hey, you there. Oi, Squiggle, put that Instagram away for a nanosecond. You're into Insta everything. Fast-paced, exhilarating, exciting, energised, enthusiastic, exhausting. You've got two speeds, supersonic and off. You either love honey or you don't, don't you, Tigger? Where the triangle is the tiger of Eye of the Tiger fame. Da, da, da. You are the Tigger of Winnie the Pooh fame. Fickle you? Nah. Yes. No, I mean, nah. Or do I mean, yes. Do, do, no, do, do, do. Yes. Like the squiggle icon, you flex all the blooming time. You're creative, you're innovative, you are unbound by any frame. It's the only shape that has no boundary. You are boundless in imagination, boundless in energy, and boundless in potential. Go you! Ah, the rectangle first. Hmm, you need therapy. And this is where those who haven't been trained by Dr. Susan don't get it. The rectangle is like yin and yang, light and shadow. There is a proactive form of it and there is a reactive form. If you've been forced into the rectangle phase of your life, you are a reactive rectangle because it is the frame for change. Many people at this moment have been forced into rectangle mode during the changes we're going through as a culture. 
Many people choose the rectangle as a sign that they are shape-shifting. They don't know if they are supposed to be a box or a triangle, a circle or a squiggle. In fact, they don't know if they're coming or going. Your first supervisory position is likely to be a reactive rectangle for the first three weeks. Suddenly, your peers are now your direct reports. Ouch for the circle. And you need to get results in a new way. Triangle says, bring it on. You are not sure what your boundaries are, so you may close the office door to your nice new boxy office. And in your box, begin to focus on all the new policies and procedures you need to know. Blow this, says your inner squiggle. All work and no play makes Jack, Jose, Joe, Jeff and Jonesy a dull boy, girl or neutral. So you go and buy donuts for the team and play Jenga so you can all bond. Hmm. I can imagine the confusion on the faces of your team. You don't know your boundaries, so they don't know their boundaries. But the good news is these things come to pass. Soon you realise that as a proactive rectangle, you can choose the right shape for the right scenario. So let's finish with the proactive rectangle. The proactive rectangle is a different animal. When you proactively choose the rectangle, you are choosing flexibility and balance. And balance is power. The proactive rectangle has the call to action, you can choose the shape you're in. Happiness for the proactive rectangle position is to choose the right shape for the right scenario, just like we did as children with our shape sorter games. Columbo's conclusion, honestly. There you go then, I've given you some strong direction on a paid way forward, the contribution compass and motivational map profiles with their professional debriefs. And the free way forward via psychogeometrics and my 27 questions inspired by Scott Dinsmore and other great questioners like Richard Bandler and John Grinder in NLP and Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach. Why am I mentioning these specific names? because someone did the same for me in the late 1980s. This was when I went on my first corporate training program and had the doors of happiness opened for me. In fact, the corridor of happiness would be a better description because it led to many doors. The door of transactional analysis, the door of neurolinguistic programming, the door of customer experience, of time management, of strategic coach, of philosophy, of the school of life. The list is endless. But the recommended reading list that I will supply for you at the end of this series isn't endless. We'll get you going with the top choices that me and my friends have chosen over the years. See you for the next habit, habit six, contribution.